National Archives podcast series, an introduction to tracing battalions or regiments of the British Army during the Great War, presented by David Langrish. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is David Langrish. I'm a reader advisor here at the National Archives. The talk today is just an introduction to some of the sources that you can use to start tracing a battalion's history or a regiment's history during the First World War. One of the most common inquiries we receive at the inquiry desk is, I have or haven't found a First World War service record. What additional information can I find here relating to uh, my relative's period of service? And so we would generally direct you on to operational records, specifically unit war diaries in WO95. And while today's talk will focus on the unit war diaries, there's also some other sources which you can use in conjunction or separately that might just add to your understanding of a certain battalion, unit or regiment's experiences during the First World War. What we're going to do during the talk is just quickly recap on how you'd find out a battalion number. Uh, we'll start by looking at the regimental histories in our library collection. We'll move on to the unit war diaries in WO95. The examples I'm going to use from that series today are largely due to the hard work that a team of volunteers have been carrying out as we look to digitise a number of these unit war diaries from the France and Flanders theatre ahead of the start of the centenary events in 2014. Some of the volunteers are with us today and their hard work in preparing these records for digitisation, making sure the pages are in order, all the appendices are tied up in the correct place. They've been noting down some of the interesting finds which I've used during this talk today. We'll look at trench maps and photographs and how they can be used to add perspective to a written account or just give you a new perspective on stories you may have heard or, or can relate to. And then we'll look at some additional sources which are more specific to individuals but can still be used to draw out a more background knowledge on the experiences of individual units in periods of battle on specific days. We'll finish with a case study of the 8th Battalion Royal West Kent Regiment at Lewes in 1915. My Royal West Kent examples will come from largely from my dissertation project when I studied war studies at the University of Kent and I studied the um, regiment's First World War experiences uh, for my uh, dissertation project. And then we'll just finish with some summary points just to wrap up the talk. So just a quick recap then on how you can find a battalion number. If you have a service record, uh, you should be able to find a statement of services page. might be a slightly different layout than what's here. But on the left-hand column at the top, it says RW Kent for the regiment, which would be Royal West Kent. And so for James Joseph Harris here, if we look in the second column, you can just see for the 30th of August 1914, he was posted to the 1st Battalion. That's where it indicates which battalion. So if we were to take this example forward for this individual, uh, we would know we'd need to be looking for unit war diaries for the 1st Battalion War West Kent Regiment from September onwards 1914. Now, it might be that you don't have a service record. It's quite a common problem. And so you can go via the official medal rolls in W0329 to try and find the battalion number. You'll need the battalion number to search the operational records. And your first step to get into that stage is through the medal index cards. Go to looking for a person up on the top left of our homepage. You've got British Army soldiers under Army personnel after 1913. At the bottom of the section which says what records can I see online, You've got the link to the medal index cards. You can put your search in. You can just search by name and it'll bring you up any matching results. Just click on the description and you'll be able to follow the instructions to download the medal index card. There'll be six cards to the page that you download and in the middle at the top of each one, um, it tells you the regiment that this chap, David Henry Langrish, 
belonged to, which was a Hampshire regiment. Very occasionally it will detail the battalion number at that stage, but in the vast majority of cases it will just give you the regiment or army corps that he was in. You need to take a note of the code there next to the victory medal and the page number indicated. Type that code into our discovery search facility to start searching our catalogue and it will bring you up the matching result. As you'll see at the top there, that's 1 to 15 of 4 million results. So you can narrow that down a bit further by just adding and WO329 to your search. Order up that piece number indicated, WO329-1270, and you'll get the official medal rolls in the document reading room. And that just indicates, just in that column, which battalion each man served with. So David Henry Langrish was in the 9th Battalion of the Hampshire Regiment, and that's the one we would search for if we then went into the unit war diaries. I'm going to start with regimental histories before we move on to uh, the unit war diaries. They're a very good place to start, uh, very comprehensive histories of regiments during their service in the First World War. They would give you the key dates, the key locations, the key events that each battalion of the regiment was involved in. Uh, they would have been published mainly in the 1920s and 30s, and they are mainly designed to honour the troops that served in the regiment and, more specifically, the families of those soldiers that lost their lives and made the ultimate sacrifice while at the front. So you won't find too many critical statements in these official histories of the actual war direction. They're not going to include... They wouldn't have had access to material such as soldiers that were executed for all discipline in a regiment. So you've got to bear that in mind when you're using it, but it will give you the key dates. You can search for them in our library catalogue just down here on the right-hand side of our homepage, and you can start typing in the name of the regiment or part of the name of the regiment. I put Royal West Kent, and it found the result for me at the top. And in the green writing there, it indicates the reference number so that you can find that on our library shelves uh, and start reading up on the history of the particular regiment. They come in all different shapes, sizes, and layouts. The Queen's Own Royal West Kent Regimental History is arranged chronologically by theatre. So each chapter will contain references to the different battalions that were serving in that area at that time. As you can see on this layout, the, the author uses a margin to indicate which battalion is being covered in each section. So if you were just interested in one particular battalion of the Royal West Kents, you could quite easily just scan through this history. You don't have to read the whole thing for all the other battalions. Likewise, they also in indicate any sketch maps or appendices which can be used alongside that section of the chapter. As I mentioned before, they do really honour the troops that served and died. In the appendices for the Royal West Kent history, it lists all the men that had died while serving the regiment during the Great War. And it, some of the other appendices will detail the men and the different awards and medals that were handed out to officers and other ranks. But the appendices will vary from unit to unit, from history to history, so just to bear that in mind when you're using them. For some differing layouts, we've got here the King's Own Yorkshire Light Infantry Regimental History. Instead of having a whole margin to show where the different battalions are covered, they just use an indentation. On the left, you've got the 4th Battalion. On the right, you've got the 5th. So it's still fairly easy to trace a certain battalion through these histories. And here for the Royal Berkshire Regiment, uh, each individual chapter is dedicated to one specific battalion. So again, you get a comprehensive history just in one chapter for each battalion. We also have divisional histories in our library collection. And as we'll see with the, uh, the unit war diaries, 
It's always worth just moving up and down the chain of command for the army just to try and find additional information which might be contained, for example, by mo moving from a regimental history and looking at a battalion, moving to a divisional one. You might just get a bit better overview of what was happening elsewhere along the line at that time, just moving away from just a battalion perspective. Likewise, you can move down the level chain of command. You might find that there, some battalions had official histories published after the war, and you'll probably find those in local library services to where the regiment was located or at the regimental museums. Moving on to the unit war diaries in W095, um, this series is one of our most popular here at the National Archives. They provide a day-by-day -day account of what each unit was experiencing, what they were up to and where they were located. The detail will vary from unit to unit, from diary to diary. That's because the junior officer who would have been completing the diary on a daily basis will obviously, one junior officer in one unit will detail things differently to another in another. So one might go into extensive detail, others might go into less. And likewise, you also have to consider what was happening at the front as well at that time. There might be more pressing concerns than putting in a detailed entry in the war diary. Where you can get a lot a lot more detailed information is if the appendices survive, which might be attached at the back of diaries relating to sp specific entries. These can include operational orders, personal or unit accounts uh, regarding specific events, battles or periods at the front. Also maps and sketches going with operational orders, which just provide a different perspective to what's being detailed. And you can find some hidden gems, which our volunteers have been finding uh, and noting down, which we'll come to in a second. <coughs> Uh, you can search by battalion, brigade or division, so you can easily move up and down the level of command if you wanted to, and we'll, we'll cover that as well in a second. And as I've mentioned, you should always consider doing that just to try and find some additional information that not, might not be contained within one level of the diary. If you've not used a W095 record before, this is the general layout. This is a general page that would be completed by each unit on a daily basis, taken from the 2nd Battalion Royal Berkshire Regiment. As you can see on the left-hand side there, it gives the date. Sometimes it also gives the location there. The middle column is where they enter the main details of what happened on that day. And the right column would be where they indicate if there's any particular appendix or uh, remarks that should be considered alongside that entry. As you can see from this entry, it's a fairly undescriptive entry. You've got three days in billets followed by three days in trenches, three days in billets, three days in trenches and so on. Just a general rotation in and out of the front lines for a general unit. What it does detail is the names of the officers and the number of other ranks that were sent to hospital in each day. As you go through you'll find more, dis more detail in the descriptions as they come into more activity. Uh, this is from the 4th and 5th of March 1917. Bottom entry confirms the names of the officers killed, wounded and missing, and a number of other ranks also killed, wounded or missing. But just here, it says, for the report of operations on the 4th and 5th of March, see Appendix 1 attached. Fortunately, it does survive. There's about a four-page report attached to this war diary uh, for this month, and that will just go into much more detail about the actual fighting experiences on those two days, and actually the flow of the actual fighting. So you can, you can get, where these appendices survive, you can get a lot of detail from them. Likewise, you have operational orders uh, ahead of a certain attack or period at the front. So again, you can draw out a lot more information about how each company within a battalion was located or positioned. Was it going to be working in conjunction with a certain artillery attack or barrage? Was it going to be working with tanks? 
what are the other brigades of the division going to be involved and what would their positions be. So you can draw out a lot of knowledge if these appendices survive about the actual battlefield experiences of each unit. You get some maps and sketches which are, uh, can be attached. In this example, it indicates what the objective is for the coming battle period, where the starting off position would be, and then the various divisional and um, battalion boundaries, so the troops are aware of who's in support and where they're located. Now, there's many different reasons why you might use a unit war diary. You may wish to trace a whole battalion through the whole war service. You may wish to use a war diary just to cover a specific event or period at the front. It may be that you have a relative that you know was in a specific battalion for two weeks, two months, two years, and you just want to cover that period. What I've done here to show you why you should consider moving through the levels of command in these war diaries to get more additional information is I've selected the Christmas truce, and it comes from one of the examples our volunteers found. If you were interested in the Christmas truce and you had a relative in the 1st Battalion, Norfolk Regiment, for example... You may order up the diary for December 1914, and you might find, just in this case, that you can see there there's no entry recorded for the 25th of December, and that seems to be quite a common issue in this diary, that some days there's just no details entered. So at this point, you might think, well, OK, there's nothing there. I'll move on to the next period I'm interested in. But one of our volunteers found that at the infantry brigade level for the 15th Infantry Brigade headquarters diary for December 1914... This battalion, the 1st Norfolk Regiment, were in this infantry brigade. The entry for December 25th reveals something slightly different, or a lot more information, I should say. At about 2pm, a German officer, unarmed, walked towards the Norfolk trenches. So automatically, we found additional information about the battalion, which wasn't contained in the battalion war diary. It goes on to say that for about an hour and a half, 200 to 400 British and German troops, including officers, uh, conversed and sung hymns together. And I love the way that it tries to, they try to cover their own back, really, with their commanding officers, that they sort of turn it into an intelligence-gathering exercise. That they say that the Germans expected to war to finish within two months at that stage, and that more Germans came out of the front trenches than it was thought that the trenches held. And so there's a good example of why we should consider moving up chain of command to find more information. The battalion diary had nothing at all. Brigade level one gives us quite good information. You could take it a step further and move up to the divisional headquarters diary uh, for Christmas 1914. This is the 5th Division, which this brigade was a part of. On the folder for December 1914, it gives a list of appendices that are attached. Third from the bottom is fraternising. At the end of the diary, you find the appendices attached. still survives, and the title page is conversing with the enemy. What follows is about 11 pages of statements from various company, battalion and brigade officers about basically witness statements about what they saw, what they experienced on that day. Again, you get largely people trying to cover their own backs. Um, it started further along down the line before I got there. I couldn't do anything about it. There was already British troops out in no man's land, so I couldn't order anybody to fire. But again, you can just draw out some more information about specific periods or events by moving up the chain of command on these diaries. So how do we search? If you're searching for a battalion, you search by the battalion number, the regiment name or part of the regiment name, and WO95 on our discovery service. I've just searched West Kent, and so because of that, it's brought me up the West Kent Yeomanry as well. What you can do when you actually come to a, a result for the battalion or regiment you're looking for, 
The rest of the battalions in the Queen's Own Royal West Kent Regiment will be titled exactly like that, just the difference will be the battalion number. So if you're looking for an additional diary for the 1st Battalion, this one just covered July to November 1917. If you're looking for an additional one or an additional battalion in the regiment, you now know the term that you should use to search, and so you can narrow your search results automatically and avoid any confusion when you go to order. This example for the 6th Battalion of the Queen's Own Royal West Kent Regiment clearly shows in the description that that is part of the 37th Infantry Brigade. So if you wanted to move up to check the Infantry Brigade diary, the information's already there for you, so you know which to search for. Likewise, on the description, again, it's there, and any notes there will tell you any diaries that are missing for that particular one. So you can search for the 37th Infantry Brigade. It'll bring you up the different diaries, give you the reference numbers. Again, you can see in the description there, it now tells us which division that Infantry Brigade belongs to. So it's fairly straightforward to trace the infantry brigades and divisions that certain battalions would have belonged to. Again, on the description, if you clicked on Browse by Hierarchy just at the top there, on the yellow tab it also says the division. Click on the yellow tab, it takes you to the sub-series for the 12th division, and then listed down here on the right-hand side are all the individual piece numbers that make up that sub-series for the 12th division. Start with the general staff diaries, you'll work your way through all the branches and services, so quartermaster general, commander, royal artillery, that sort of thing. And then you would have come to the brigade-level diaries and then you would come to the battalion-level diaries making up the 12th Division. There is a drawback to using war diaries, just like any record series. Sometimes you just won't find the detail. For example here, 12th Indian Division headquarters from November 1915, based in Mesopotamia, which we now know as Iraq. November the 7th is just Sunday. There's no other information, so... You've just got to bear in mind that at times there wouldn't be much going on in specific theatres or there would have been more pressing concerns or the appendices which you're after just won't survive. They would have been weeded out or lost or destroyed during or after the war. You can find some really good hidden gems though and again thanks to our volunteers for being able to go through and find these. This was an interesting one which gives a, a direct insight into what life might have been like in the army away from the front line and we've got a, a bayonet training assault course in the 5th Division Headquarters General Staff Diary for March 1916. When we consider there's about 1,000 men in a battalion, there's four battalions into a brigade at this stage of the war, four brigades into a division, plus all the divisional troops, many thousands of men would have gone through such training. So it's good insight into what they would have been going through away from the front lines. At the top there, you've got the three white trenches, A, C and D, which had just been sort of like... Krypton Factor style sort, sort of course. Um, and then you've got your two red trenches, which are the bayonet training sections. Enlarged here on the right-hand side, you can see that the men were being trained to aim for the face, the throat, the heart, the right and left nipple, <coughs> stomach or kidneys, right groin, left groin. So it's quite a gruesome insight. But when you consider, it does give us a good insight into what was happening or what the men were going through, what these units were going through when they weren't in the front lines. Likewise, for the Adjutant and Quartermaster General Diary from April 1917 for the General Headquarters in Salonika, uh, we have instructions that would have been passed down to the various divisions, brigades and battalions that would have made up the force in Salonika. Now, these might not survive at those levels of diaries, so you might have to move up to try and find this. But again, on the left, it talks about the need to prevent malaria. In particular, it says that soldiers should be looking out for certain spotted types of mosquito, so quite a bit of random information there. And on the right, it talks about the spread of disease by flies, 
spreading fever, dysentery, diarrhoea, cholera, all lovely subjects like that. And then follows on with quite a detailed description of how latrine discipline was required for the men in the back lines, making sure they were cleaned out properly and constructed correctly. So again, it provides a, a different insight into the actual army life and, um, and experiences that units would have been going through and some of the disciplines required. Talking of latrines, we have a, a very funny-looking image here from the 24th Field Ambulance attached to the 5th Division in July 1915. It details a new type of latrine that they were constructing and encouraging units to use, made out of old biscuit tin boxes which had been left in that sector of the front. Quite crudely, it details two sections to the latrine, one for one method of relieving oneself and <laughs> the other for the other method. Um, and a lovely diagram at the bottom there of how to actually sit on the said latrine. And we know it's a demonstration because he seems to still have his undergarments uh, <laughs> clearly on. But when we look past that sort of humorous side of it, it just gives us an insight into the sort of the make-do and mend policy that units would have needed to undertake at the front lines. When you're reading war diaries, regimental histories, personal accounts, you'll come across so many different ingenious methods of re reusing equipment, coming up with different sort of trench bombs and equipment they can attack the enemy with, or just general designs using reusing material that just improves their uh, conditions and life either at the front or in the reserve positions. Moving on to trench maps and photographs, um, if you go to our Looking for a Place research signpost, under Maps, Plans and Surveys, you'll find military maps of the First World War. It takes you to this in-depth guide. You've got your two sections at the top which contain the main map collections and additional map collections, and section five is for photographs. In summary, each of those can be broken down into individual record series by the theatre of war. And when you use these, I can just add, add a new perspective to some of the written accounts used. The main uh, trench map collection for the Western Front would be in W0297. It's a bit too complicated to go into detail on how to search that here today. I don't have the time or scope to do it. If you were to go through that, you'd need to know the old grid references for the, for the trench maps on the Western Front. Uh, they're not all searchable by place or name in that record series. You'd need to head up to the map room. There's a book up there called Topography of Armageddon, and there's also the paper catalogue for WO297, and that has the map that you would need to use to get the grid references for the different locations of different sections of the Western Front to then start searching for those maps. What I'm going to talk about today are the maps in WO153, maps showing the progress of, of the war, specifically situation maps regarding certain battles or offensives. So these can really support any battalion histories, regimental histories or unit war diaries and their descriptions of what was happening and where the fighting was taking place. You can search discovery by using those terms, situation and SOM and WO153 as an example. Here bringing up various results. The one I ordered up was Battle of the Somme daily situation maps covering that period indicated there, 1st of July to 26th of November 1916, and you will have a map for every day, so it's quite an extensive amount of maps in just one document. When you order them up, the first one here, Situation 830 on the 1st of July, shows the quite extensive area there, and it gives all the corpse boundaries here with the units identified and the different sections, and the British front line at that stage being those thick red lines. You then move on to the actual daily maps, which will show the British front line at a certain time on that day. This thick red line is that position on, at 10am on July 4th. 
Down at the bottom, you've got a dotted blue line, which was the original British starting position ahead of this offensive. And more extensively detailed are these red lines, which are the old German trench positions before the offensive started. The reason why the German positions are in much more detail is the British didn't want to detail their trench systems in case maps were taken by the enemy, and so it's an intelligence issue. And you'll start to see, as you're using regimental histories and unit war diaries, you'll start taking down notes of the key areas that form the key places of battle for that particular unit. It might be a wooded area, like that, or a little village or town, like that, crossroads even, any high ground over low ground. And you can start to follow quite easily on these maps how the fighting uh, took place and how the front line moved. If we move it on a couple of weeks, you can just go day by day. If you move it on a couple of weeks, we can see that the front line's now moved beyond these wooded areas just there and in the middle up to the next section of wooded area and a little town there. Just out of reach in the north is a, another wooded area called Highwood. And if we move it on again a bit further, we see that eventually the British line gets a little foothold in that wood. If you follow it over the next few days, it then gets the whole wood then pushed back out, then they start trying to take it again. So when you're using regimental histories and war diaries, you can be using these maps just to get a perspective of the flow of a battle or an offensive period, just to help your understanding and your perspective. Now these are quite detailed maps. They are at a scale of 1 to 20,000. Eventually the British trench maps would go to 1 to 10,000, even 1 to 5,000 scale, I believe. And they could even picture enemy machine gun posts. The reason why they needed to go into so much detail as the war became entrenched and static is that obviously the artillery and commanding officers needed to know where the weak points were, where they should be planning their offensives and where they should be aiming for. At the start of the war, the British Army didn't have access to such detailed maps. They were reliant on vaster sized maps covering vaster area. And I ordered up, just to show you an example, situation map for the first Battle of Ypres in 1914. And what I actually ended up ordering up was a whole shot of the Western Front to that point. It details all the French army uh, units there and the opposing enemy forces opposite. When we zoom in, we find the small British army at this stage just in front of Ypres and then the small Belgium army just at the top and again the opposing forces. This is a scale of 1 to 500,000, so you don't get the detail of the later maps. Generally, the British Army were using 1 to 100,000 maps at the early stages of the war. As I said, they, needed, they thought it was going to be a war of movement uh, and be over very quickly, so the commanding officers needed uh, vaster areas in the maps just to try and uh, be able to move long distances at short notice. And the red dots indicate old fortresses of pre-war Europe, and if we just go back, you can see a number of those dotted around. So just bear in mind when you're using these records, they will vary in quality and detail. Moving on to photographs, uh, again they're broken down by theatre of war. W0316 are Western Front photographs and just here on the right you can see the different sub-series, the different types, uh, groups of photographs that we have. I'm going to just show you panoramas taken from the artillery. We have about 15 or 16 of these uh, photos uh, for different areas of the line. It's not going to cover the whole Western Front. It's not going to cover every battlefield. But it, it, if you've got a battalion that you're interested in which did fight at Luz or Lens or the Somme, you might want to have a look at these just to get more of an idea of the lay of the land, just to add again to your perspective, give you a new insight into what conditions might have been like. These roll out and they can be about a metre uh, in length. Here's one for the Somme. 
So you can see the lie of the land. Is it hilly? Is there any high positions that would be key, keenly fought over? It indicates where wooded areas are in the distance and any villages or towns which again might be keenly fought over as the offensive moves forward. And as you roll it out, we come to a section which covers high wood, which we saw in the uh, trench maps. And you, see, you can see in the vis near vicinity here that obviously the extensive damage caused to the wooded area. Obviously there might be more wooded area in the actual far distance. Uh, but it just gives you a new perspective on what the actual land looked like. Was it hilly? Was there any cover for the men as they would be attacking? You can add to your, the actual written accounts that are made. I'm now going to move on to more records that are more specific to individual soldiers, but again, they can be used to draw out information on particular battalions or units of the British Army. I'm going to start with Prisoner of War interview reports in WO161. They are available online and can be downloaded from our website. You go to our online records just at the bottom here on the right of the homepage, select Army, and at the bottom you've got Prisoner of War interview reports. You can search by name, so as you're working through a regimental history or unit war diary, you should be noting down any officers or men that were captured or taken prisoner or wounded or missing. But you can also just search in that third box there by the regiment name. So I searched West Kent and it brought me up a series of results. You've just got to look out for two different types of results. The top option there, which is for W. Tucker of the 8th Battalion, Royal West Kent, says quite clearly in the title and description, report not printed. So if you downloaded that report, it will just be a list of name of soldiers whose reports weren't printed, so you won't get any detail of their time as a prisoner. Underneath, for CAWP Selby, uh, an England cricket captain in the making with those initials, you've got uh, his report, which doesn't say report not printed, and you've got here, it just indicates the exact date he was captured, so we can be pretty sure that there's going to be a report there. Now, most of these will start from the point at which the man was captured, so won't give you any details on the events that led up to the capture. But some of them do contain that information, as this report does here for Captain Lowe from the West Yorkshire Regiment. At the top, he indicates the positions of the various units and brigades that he knew at the start of the day as they went into battle. This is on the 20th of September 1914, so quite early in the war. And then he goes on to detail the French position on their right, and then there were two major events that happened which undermined the position of his particular unit. First, the French withdrew on their right flank, leaving them exposed. And then it started to rain heavily and the British rifles uh, began, began to jam with the mud. And so the actual resistance that could be offered by this particular battalion just reduced and reduced until they were cut off and the wounded and those cut off were captured by the enemy. So it just begin, you, you can just begin to see how these records could be used to just get a better idea of what happened to a particular unit on a particular day if you come across a war diary entry or a regimental history entry. Again, there are variations in quality. You might come across reports which look like this, which give you one-word answers and are just focused on their period in captivity, which won't give you the information that you're, you're hoping to find. So just bear that in mind as you're going through. It will be a bit of trial and error until you come across one. We also have correspondence from the Prisoners of War and Aliens Department, the Foreign Office, from 1915 to 1919 in the record series FO383. These volumes will come in sort of book volumes, you can start searching by going to uh, looking for a person signpost. Under prisoners of war and conscientious objectors there on the left, you've got British prisoners of war up to the First World War, which includes the First World War. 
And then you can search that series by name. So again, if you're making a note of the names, you can search by name. But you can also search by regiment. So you can put West Kent into Discovery and FO383, and they will pick up the results because they've been extensively catalogued. And you'll need these catalogue descriptions when, you get, when you've ordered up the individual piece because it will give you a rough idea of the order that those pieces of correspondence come in. Um, they're not numbered, and it can be quite tricky. There might be hundreds of folios of correspondence in one book. So you, you need to work with these descriptions to help you find your specific entry a little easier. A good example of what you can find is from Private Burns of the 2nd Battalion, Royal West Kent Regiment. He was captured with half of the battalion at Kut in Mesopotamia in 1916. He gives about a four-page report of his time in captivity. Luckily for Private Burns, when the surrender took place, he was actually sick, and so he was sent to Baghdad via boat, whereas the other ranks generally were forced to march into captivity, which was quite a horrendous experience. He, in hospital in Baghdad, he details that he met up with other British prisoners of war, including Private Bradford of the Second World West Kent Battalion, who details some of the experiences, specifically that the guards had been beating the uh, prisoners with whips and the butts of the rifles and that food wasn't very good and that men were being left on the roadside too exhausted to carry on. Other accusations from that same period will point to local tribesmen attacking the soldiers as well. So again, you can begin to see how these reports from prisoners, specific individuals, can detail information about a particular unit and their experiences uh, either on the battlefield or when taken in, say, captivity. Again, they can vary in detail and quality. You do all the searching, say, for Sergeant A. Scrass from the 8th Battalion, Royal West Kent's, and all you do after taking all that time to get the volume and actually find where it is in the volume, it's just this small sheet detailing his concerns about a specific prisoner of war camp in Germany. So again, you can vary in the detail which is included. We have officer service records as well, which can be used, WO339 and WO374. If, again, you're finding that officers were being captured at a period when your relative uh, was fighting with a certain battalion, you might want to look in their service record to see if they have a confidential report regarding the circumstances of capture. You can search on Discovery by name, um, but you should be prepared to use a digital index, which is free to download um, if you've got a common name that you're searching for. That just helps you identify the correct file to order up. Lieutenant Archibald Alan Bowman from the Highland Knight Infantry has one of these reports attached, and this is just solely on the events of the day he was captured. So you can see that if they survive and they're in good quality, they can contain extensive information and quite detailed information of a battlefield experience for a particular unit on one given day. He goes on to just describe for his unit, 10th, 11th Highland Light Infantry, that on the day in question, they were already low on ammunition. They didn't have any reserve of ammunition left. They didn't have any trench bombs to be able to attack or defend against the Germans. And then on this second page, you have a very detailed sketch map that's uh, included. And it just goes on again to explain that the units in, his flank, or in the flank positions to this particular Highland Light Infantry Battalion were eventually pushed back exposing this unit who were cut off and the Germans using their trench bombs ironically were able just to finally force the surrender of this particular officer and the men he was fighting with and as you can see a very detailed sketch map 
again, which can add to your perspective of what a particular unit was experiencing. So again, by using an individual's perspective, you can add to this perspective of what a whole battalion or the men of a battalion might have been experiencing on that day. I'm going to finish with a case study of the 8th Battalion Royal West Kent Regiment at the Battle of Lewes in 1915. The regimental history in our library confirms that the battalion was part of the 72nd Brigade of the 24th Division, which moved to France on the 29th of August 1915. Indicates that the battalion only, only received its service rifles in July. Now that's not to say that they couldn't shoot, but obviously it raises questions over their sort of training and preparation. The 8th Battalion history, they had their own history published, which was available through the Kent Local Library Service and the Regimental History in Maidstone reveals that in August, before they went to France, the division was due to undertake trench warfare training at Cobham Common, but was abandoned due to very bad weather. And when you consider the weather that the men would have experienced throughout the war, it's quite incredible that that happened. And trench-to-trench attacks and consolidation techniques uh, were thus not experienced by the men of this division, by the brigade, by the battalion, as before they went overseas. The regimental history then describes what happened on the 26th of September, Less than a month after going overseas, the battalion attacked between Hullock and Lens at the Battle of Luz. Of, only, of the 24 officers and 800 men, only one officer and 250 men remained, as they described, effective. The 9th East Surreys, which were also part of the brigade, who were attacking alongside the West Kents, were also wiped out. And it was the uh, British artillery fire had not been able to break the German wire, and though, so the German machine gun positions in the flank were able to bring down a devastating fire on the troops. As we mentioned earlier, sometimes the unit war diaries just won't contain the detailed information you're hoping to find. There for the 26th, just towards the bottom there, it says, attack Hullock, lose three quarters of battalion, and then it moves on. Obviously, the battalion would have been completely rebuilt after this. So it doesn't have the the detail we're looking for. So you could move to see if there's a prisoner of war interview report which might give us some more background information. I found one for Captain Hutchinson of the battalion um, who details at the top that at first the battalion were attacking downslope before having to attack uh, upslope by the lay of the land and that two German uh, groups of soldiers moved into the flank positions from in front of them taking on the left Hullock village and on the right a, a wooded area. He then goes on down the bottom just to point out that the machine gun fire from the uh, concealed in that wooded area and then machine gun fire and artillery from Hullock Village from the enemy became more deadly and more targeted on the men as as the advance came to a halt and obviously had a devastating impact. Perhaps to highlight that, the impact of the fighting over these two days, we can use the situation maps for the Battle of Luz in WO153-144. This is the position, the British position, on the night of the 25th of September. And just in the middle there, you can see the 72nd Brigade. That was their position as they were about to go into the fighting the next day. And just along here, it doesn't come out great, but you can just see here some wooded areas and then the village area that Captain Hutchinson was talking about. And so the, the brigade, including the 8th Battalion, Royal West Kent, would be attacking through here and it's the the next map which really highlights a devastating day that was experienced by that battalion that brigade and the brigades alongside as we can see that the the line has just been smashed back 
by the, the Germans, and that's where about the 72nd Brigade started, and obviously uh, alongside some of the other brigades it's been absolutely wiped out. And when you look for the next day, there's a map for the next night, the 27th, that line has been re-established back to where it was the day before. And we have some photographs for Luz. These are taken about six months later on, but gives you an idea of the layout of the land. You can see quite clearly the, the white chalk uh, stands out from all the old trench systems. And as you roll it out, you begin to see that slope which Captain Hutchinson had been speaking about, which the men had to run up. And you see the wooded areas in the distance, which would have concealed the German defensive positions. Uh, and when they weren't able to advance any further, it was at those positions at deadly fire that obviously uh, destroyed the battalion. So on that gloomy note, we, we've looked then today that regimental histories and war diaries uh, will give you the key dates, the key locations, and quite comprehensive information about what was being experienced by each individual unit. And you should be prepared to move through the level of commands to find additional information, moving from battalion to brigade to division and even higher up that chain of command. Trench maps and photographs can add perspective to publish battle and offensive situations. It might just make it a little bit easier to understand those written and published material. And records even to relating to specific individuals can give you more information about battlefield experiences of individual units. And as we saw at the end there, at the very end, with the 8th Battalion of the Royal West Kent Regiment, if you can use regimental museums and local archives to find any additional personal accounts, again, they can be used just to improve and increase your knowledge and understanding of what was happening to a particular unit at a given time at the front. That's, that's it from me. Thank you for your time. This podcast was recorded on 6th of December 2012 at the National Archives in... This talk was sponsored by the Friends of the National Archives. This podcast is copyrighted to the National Archives. All rights reserved.